Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I'm excited about this episode today because for once I get to ask the questions. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you listen to this show, I always get to ask the questions, and that's true. But my guest today is uh, is my question asker. He is my coach. He's a good friend, and I'm so excited about uh, having him on the show. So why don't you welcome to the show, Tim Morris. Hey, Tim, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric. Glad to be here. I am super excited about this because we've been hanging out a lot over the last couple of years, and you've helped me do so much, including launch this podcast, that it really is an honor to have you on the show and to share your story and uh, just help uh, help get your message out there. The pleasure is mine. This is incredibly exciting for me to be on here. Thank cool. you, brother. Cool. Well, that's good. Uh, I mentioned that you're a coach already. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about kind of what you, where God has you now, what you're working on. You have some exciting things, and then we'll go back and dig through your story a little bit. Yeah. So I am a coach, as Eric said. Uh, I uh, Right now, I'm actually working with uh, apostles. I'm coaching apostles and some prophets. And by apostles, I don't mean the scary people you see on TV that wear pinstripes <laughs> and want your money and and scare you. I, I mean more the people that are starting things. Uh, they're entrepreneurial. They plant churches. Uh, they start organizations. Um, and yeah, my heart is really around restoring that gift. Um, actually, the apostle, prophet, and evangelist, the first three gifts in Ephesians 4 back to the church. So I'm focusing on that right now. And my company, it's called Design Discovery. I developed a framework to help people discover how they're designed by God on a deep purpose level. And I'm focused on that right now. Yeah. I love that. Uh, tell me a little bit about you. Cause you mentioned Ephesians four and you mentioned those uh, three offices or three giftings. Tell us a little bit more about why those people are the people that you're called to what you love about them. Yes. I love that passage. Uh, so, yeah, so back back in the day in about 2005, I read a book called The Shaping of Things to Come by Alan Hirsch. Yes. And he had a chapter in it called The Genius of the Apept, A-P-E-P-T, which now he calls APEST, um, which is an acronym for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, and Teacher, or Shepherd and Teacher. Uh, when I read that book, it sort of blew my doors off my brains, and <laughs> I he basically explains that those five gifts are actually, they actually show a developmental model of how any organization or business is supposed to start and maintain and grow and reproduce itself, essentially. And that approach to the five gifts, which are commonly called the fivefold. Uh, some of the more charismatic churches have been using that term for a while, but um, that blew my brains. Um, and and I had some experience. I, I have a background and, you know, I went to seminary with Eric, but I also had an experience when I was at Denver, when I was, or when I lived there, I was part of the house church movement, which is very comfortable with the apostle concept because 
in the house church world, we talk about planning churches all the time. So the apostles are more, um, it's more common. So I actually ran into a, a house church leader that taught, uh, I heard him teach once and he said, you know, you've met an apostle because they're the most confused of them all, <laughs> which Amen. Hit, which was me. Uh, and he basically says they're the most confused of them all because the apostle gift includes the rest of the five gifts. Uh, so they're part prophet, part evangelist, part pastor or shepherd and part teacher. And that really helped me understand me because I could do any of those and I loved any of those, but there was a part of me that was deeper that wanted to start create movements. Um, which the secu- the easiest way to understand the apostle is to compare it to an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur starts things and they get it going and they do they wear all the hats in the beginning and then eventually they bring in they're supposed to hire and delegate. I mean any successful business has to do that. Well, that's exactly what apostle is. I mean when you look at Paul, Paul didn't stay very long with, you know, his church plants. I think the longest he stayed was 3 years. Um but he, several times he would stay for just a couple months and he's out. Um, right. So that mentality brought a freshness to my purpose, my design. Um, so I'm really big on that because uh, one thing Alan Hurst says in that book that was really the biggest aha I pulled from it was if if it's true that those gifts represent, uh, you know, I, and I'm using the word developmental pattern. Um, I, I teach it a slightly, a little bit different than Alan. Um, but I would call the first three gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, movement gifts. And the last two gifts I call stability gifts. Hirsch will call them settler gifts. Sure. Well, he says something in the book, like, if, you know, you, when you're in a movement based on what gifts are emphasized is going to show you you know, when it comes to transformation or change, what's around you. So if the church is really at a stable place of stasis, um, you can pretty much say, well, the stable gifts are the ones being emphasized. So that's, you know, that's exactly what's going on in the, in the, in the West, especially. Um, I was trained with pastor teacher is really my options at seminary. There were no apostle, prophet, or evangelist tracks in high school. Um, if there was Eric, I didn't know about them. I didn't either. And, uh, yeah, and that's exactly why I went to seminary too, because it was like, hey, this is this is, you know, I, I had a lot of shepherding gifts, and those are the kinds of things that I thought I liked to do. But you know, teaching was is the is the place. It's where it's at. Those are the people who get most of the recognition because they can draw a crowd. Um, but we need more than that, which is why I think your work is so important. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I. I, there's a lot to the apostle gift because it's not really, it's been sort of pushed to the side for, gosh, I mean, in my opinion, it's been pushed aside for hundreds and hundreds of years, if not, you know, a good part of the couple thousand years that we're, we're Christians. It's just been here and there emphasized. Right. Um, and one of the things that's true is that the apostle does uh, well, I, I would say the apostles end game that they're really after when they're a healthy apostle is to empower others. So if you think of that entrepreneur, they're supposed to hire and delegate, which is empowerment. Yeah. I believe if the enemy can target the apostle and take that gift down, he can take them all down. So you, you set an apostle on fire and you'll set the rest of those gifts on fire. Um, cause they're designed by God to set the others on fire. Um, 
so that's been a large part of where I'm focusing now is, and it's partly because those are the people I've, I'm called to to serve. And I have the most impact of apostles and prophets, uh, the crazies, if you will, the <laughs> high risk takers, the visionaries. Um, those two are the highest visionary. Um, but yeah, so my heart is just really, I really think the blueprint is in us uh, to see the church do what we all want. Um, I don't, and, and I think it's, it, I think Ephesians 4 is a beautiful paradigm um, there's a lot more to it. Um, Alan Hirsch wrote another book called Five Q, which is a newer one that he it's a much deeper um, dive into that. And then I, I do webinars on that topic and stuff. And but it's awesome. I can't tell. I'm excited about it. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think it's. I think that emphasis is really important for the church. Because, um, like you said, we're we've de-emphasized apostles and those, those different gifts for so long to the point that some people will even say that they don't exist. And yeah. that I think is the most dangerous of all. Um, okay. Well, let's turn to your story a little bit. We'll come back and we'll talk a lot more about the work that you do here in a little while, sure. but I want people to get a chance to get to know you. So like you said, we met, we met at seminary. I don't know. I know a little bit of your story before that, but tell me about kind of how you came to Christ and, and your growing up years and your early learning years. Yeah. So I grew up in a, a pretty conservative Baptist church. Um, I think I said the sinner's prayer, I don't know, 50 times as a kid. <laughs> um, okay. Every time someone would preach the gospel, I'd be like, ah, I got to do it again. Where was that coming from? The tradition I was that, of that church was, was pretty strong towards the fall <laughs> and sin. And so I, I never really could trust that I wasn't and sin, I guess, that <laughs> um, I, I, I could never trust that I was redeemed. Sure. Um, so, and that, that could have just be me being young too. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I felt like I had a relationship with Jesus. I remember reading the entire book of Genesis and King James when I was like eight years old. And I remember like, I pushed through it. I slogged through it. And I remember closing my King James Bible on my uh, dresser by my bed. And I remember going, I don't know what in the world I just read. <laughs> and, but I loved God. But I saw a lot of Phariseeism around me. I saw a lot of really stale, cold, emotional leader. It, it didn't feel like love to me. It felt very weird and disconnected. And so my whole family, actually, we just sort of phased out of, of that church. And when I got into middle school, we were done. We weren't really going anymore. Um, so my faith had become pretty fringe at that point. Um, I would tell you I was a Christian, but I, that didn't mean much at that point. Um, and then I I date this girl in high school who uh, we break up. And gosh, probably a year later, I see her in the hallway and she's bubbly and she's all full of joy. And I'm like, I'm like, what's going on with you? I, I love Jesus. He's he's in my heart. Like she's <laughs> she's like talking about Jesus, and I'm like, yeah, I know Jesus. But this was something different, qualitatively different. So I, she's like, you got to come to my youth group, and I was like, okay. Well, her youth pastor happened to me happened to be my football chaplain, and this guy he wiggled his way into being a football chaplain to a secular high school. Um, and he, uh, I'd heard him, you know, give messages on Thursday nights and before our, you know, our game nights. And he, I loved the guy. He was really cool. So 
I know him automatically. And um, so I go to youth group and they're playing rock music, you know, electric guitars and bands and the <laughs> the walls aren't lime green or like cute green to me. They're bright colors. <laughs> nice. Back then that would have been, gosh, late 90s. So yeah. those colors would have been hip, Hot like gold yellow. Something. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, and they were reading the NIV, which I could actually understand. Um, where I'm from, there's a lot of KJV only stuff. And, uh, so that was common. Um, so yeah, so anyways, I, I sit in my youth pastor's office, uh, after one of his sermons with me and my other football buddy jocks, we're all big and tough and strong. And, uh, the youth pastor, Dan, he walks us through the sinner's prayer. But I think he act, it was a lot more relational. It, was, it wasn't it was just this rote thing, formula, the way he did it. But I knew in that moment, it wasn't really about me saying the sinner's prayer anymore. It was about committing my life back to Christ. Mm. So in that moment, I committed. And I remember that drive home in my car, and something changed. And it was like... God did something to me and I became, I marvel, I became a marvel to myself. I like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I, my heart was full of so much light and brightness and joy and love. And I didn't know where it came from other than I knew it was Jesus. I, and, and my friends are like, you're crazy now. Like, and it, I loved people. So I loved God. Like I just felt so much love and my family was like, what happened to you? And I'm just like, I love Jesus. Like, and I, and it wasn't this artificial law thing. It was like the indwelling God was in me and I didn't know what to do other than love him back. And I, yeah. So my faith took off like a rocket and I was sharing the gospel with everyone. I was, I made tracks in school and I'm distributing them in the hallways and, I'm, I was, I, I loved those years of risk in, in my faith and the youth pastor that, you know, led me in that prayer that day, he just, he empowered me. So he would be one of those people that empowered me. I was preaching to our group and I'm preaching hard messages of <laughs> black and white and my poor football players, our friends are in the back row and they're like, that's good stuff, Tim. And in my head, I'm one of them, you need to repent, you know, um, <laughs> You you had you you had the zeal of new faith, right? I did. Yep. I was I was quote unquote on fire. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's cool. That's awesome. Amazing that you had a youth pastor who empowered you to do all those things as well. I mean, he really seems like he was influential in your life. Oh, that and all the leader, all the interns and other youth pastors that were in that church. Unbelievable. Even now all the people that were in my youth group, we all marvel and all the people in my youth group, almost all of them have gone on to do incredible. They've stayed true to their faith and they're doing crazy leadership moves in all different kinds of churches and organizations. And I credit a lot of that to him being an incredibly healthy leader. And we just had fun. Like I went on missions trips. I went to Russia. I went to Mexico. I went to Florida, which is a fun thing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so my faith, I I took off, but it wasn't until college, you know, I started at Liberty University and I went in college, I I ran into a physical problem, uh, physical problem in my body. And 
Um, I ended up going to a church that was claiming the healings were going on. And this was a newer thing for me. I was opening my heart to this. And I left that church service really confused and dark. And that started a season in my life in college where I went through a, it was a depression. And I went from this joyful Tim to, I don't even know where God went. I mean, it was, my family didn't know what to do with me either. They were like, what happened to you? <laughs> well, well, hold on. So take us through that experience. Like what happened in that church service? Here we go. Here yeah. we go. Um, <laughs> because so, that's, that's pretty unusual, right? I mean, yeah, that, that would be an unexpected <laughs> result of a, yeah. of a church service like that. Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up uh, in the movement that would say that the miraculous gifts had ceased. So the cessation movement. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I come to a point earlier on in my college where I look at the scriptures and I'm like, I, I can't argue that. Um, they exist. And therefore I opened up myself to go to a healing service. And this is a well-known charismatic phenomenon church. Um, was this during, they were, they were having some revival down in Florida. Was this during that time? There, it was connected to the Brownsville. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is the Toronto blessing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. so yeah, so I went to there, I went there and went to several services and I'll tell you what, um, I saw some things that really were different. Um, I, I, I think when I look back on it, there were some things that were authentically God and there were some things that were probably straight demonic and confusing and weird. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there are people barking and talking like, um, <laughs> just, we, just theology that's not so supported in my opinion in the scriptures. Um, but I'm trying to open myself up. I'm younger and I didn't really know how to discern and I was just probably opening myself up to so much at that point. But yeah, I, I felt this darkness fall on me um, there. And I remember leaving that church. I was driving back to Ohio from Toronto. And I, my friend, who's also a zealous Christian, was quite confused. He's like, what happened to my friend? And I was just sitting there. And so that started a season in my life of depression. But it was also a season of God establishing my roots. Um, took me several years to get out of that. And I think God was trying to reestablish the truth in my life that, you know, there are elements where I was depending on emotions, but I have a more positive view of emotions than most. Uh, yeah. I think emotions are indicators of what's going on in your heart. And but what God was trying to do is show me that, you know, Jesus is the truth and you can actually think it through and you don't have to, you know, abandon your brain. Um, but the other thing that really brought me back deepest to my faith and my relationship with God was actually learning how to hear God's voice. Um, that was the game changer for me. Mm. Um, I was constantly doubting after that. I was constantly doubting. Um, and I read a lot of philosophy, um, and it helped, but it was really the transformative work that I saw in my listening prayer times where Jesus would talk to me. And I would hear him in my mind's eye, in my mind, and he'd speak in English to me. And I tell people, God speaks English, and he speaks whatever native language you speak. And he would say stuff to me that was too, too relevant. Um, and he would tell me stuff uh, that 
it was just to me it started to becoming ridiculous to think this was just me or like and yeah can you give us an example sure i one day i'm i remember washing my car and i'm struggling with can i trust the bible i mean i used to go through everything in my brain in that season of why not to trust my faith <laughs> even though i still hung by a thread <laughs> and i remember I'm washing the car and all of a sudden this word pops through my head, affidavit, A-F-F-I-D-A-V-I-T, like in court. Yeah. I never heard the word in my life. I could never remember. And I, well, well, the, I'm sorry. The word came when I actually stopped and asked the Lord to help me understand why I was doubting in that moment. Because I was actually processing something I read in apologetics about the scriptures. And when I went, I said, Lord, what can you say to me? And I heard affidavit. And it was floating around in my mind. I was like, get that out of my head. I can't hear anything. And eventually I was like, oh, I think God's wanting me to pay attention to this word. Well, I look it up and it says uh, a written declaration declared under oath to be true. (laughs) And I was like, and I heard the Lord say, my scriptures are my affidavit to you. And I was like, boom. I mean, I didn't know what that word meant. Never heard of it. I go in the living room. I'm like, mom, what's an affidavit? She's like, I think it's like, written in court it's it's a testimony or something and i go back into my room and i'm worshiping jesus because i'm going you just said something to me that was straight miraculous i didn't know that and so from that day i never had a struggle with believing in the scriptures anymore yeah well okay that which is awesome that's such a great story um I want you to tell us a little bit about listening prayer because I think for most of my listeners and most of us in the evangelical world yeah. Prayer is pretty much um, asking for things, intercession, right? That's that's what yeah. we do for the most part, spontaneously, in groups and with one another. Um, but there are a lot of other kinds of prayer, and listening prayer is going to be a little bit different concept. Although, if people listen to this show, periodically we have people who have these experiences with God, and so... Like that's one of the reasons I came to believe that and talking to you, but one of the reasons I came to go, I think this is actually possible, you know, and um, not only possible, but um, I think God works that way. So, but if you would just tell us a little bit about that and what that process is like and maybe how people can learn how to do it. Yes. That topic. Um, Yeah. Listening prayer is, uh, so, that, so typically we think of prayer in a one-sided conversation. I, I say I intercede or I make requests to the Lord. Listening prayer is the idea that the Spirit is, is speaking today. Um, and basically he speaks in the form of words, images, or um, impressions. Um, and basically it looks like your own mind the thoughts that flow through your mind is the spirit uses those um, to speak to you. Now I've, I've, I know people that have heard God audibly. Um, I think I probably had an experience once or twice that were a little different like that. Um, but yeah, it, most people, when they hear listening prayer, they think, Oh my gosh, it's this audible, extreme, crazy thing. And, and I would say actually God is more normal than you can imagine and more supernatural than you can imagine. And, one of the ways he's more normal is he actually speaks right in your mind to you. He's very close to you. Yeah. Um, so it's basically listening prayer. There's an acronym I use, uh, SIFT, S-I-F-T, when I'm, when I'm helping people listen for the first time. Um, S is you need to have silence internally 
and externally. Um, so listening prayer is basically you're, you're pausing and you're centering yourself to pay attention to what's going on in your mind, um, in your, your mind's eye or your, your imagination. Um, so, well, and it's more, it's hard to explain how the mind, it's basically what goes on in your head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the eye and the sift is imagination. I, I would tell people, you know, when Jesus tells the stories in the scriptures, like when Jesus tells the parable of the, you know, the the prodigal is commonly what that uh, scripture is called. Um, he's trying to get us to engage our imagination to experience the love of the Father. Like he's not just telling us that for good information. He's trying to get us to experience it, right? So I tell people when you're going to sit down to listen, um, you know, try to go in a, a quieter environment when you first start, but find something that you can engage your imagination to center on God's love. Um, so I typically what I do is I'll find a scripture that helps me experience his love. So in Luke 15 at the, with the parable of the prodigal, I love that passage because there's the passage, I think it's verse 24, when it's when Jesus says, uh, you know, when the son is far away, the father sees him, he runs to him, he gives him a big old hug, and he gives him a kiss. And he basically throws him a party after that. When I'm waiting to hear God's voice, I sit on that verse. And I'm in like, feel, I'm filled with God's love when I'm there. <laughs> and I tell people, look, if you if you sit and you're trying to listen to the Lord and all you do is experience his love, that's okay. <laughs> Right. Like, this is good. Oh yeah. Um, that, that's an amazing experience, right? That's, that'll speak to your spirit more than anything. Yeah, exactly. And the usual reason that we struggle to hear his voice is because we actually are not perceiving that he is a loving father. Right. So that's one of the reasons why I'm putting that there. Um, and there's another guy named Mark Verkler who's got some good teaching on this as well. Um, M- Martin who? I'm, Mark Verkler, he, he's he got a little more of a charismatic bent when he teaches, so it's a little different for more of evangelicals, but he's got good teaching. He, he wrote a book called The Four Keys to Hearing God. Okay. I'm I'm tweaking it a little bit, um, but but my, uh, my key thing is to ask people, what's something you can do to experience the Father's love while you're waiting to hear his voice? Um, so while you're doing that, you basically, the F is flow, and that, that's a Mark Verkler word is pay attention to what flows through your mind's eye. So is it, do you see a picture? Do you see a stream of words? Um, is there an impression? And then T is to test. So basically write it down mm-hmm. and start looking for themes. And the fun thing about listening prayer is it's actually a dialogue. And because we're not used to this topic, it can seem strange. Like, well, I saw this word go through my head. And, you know, that word affidavit when I shared that. Earlier on when I was doing listening prayer, I didn't really know I could stop and ask Jesus um, questions about that kind of stuff. So now now my time with Jesus looks more like a conversation where I'll ask, he'll say something and I'll ask him questions and he'll talk back just like a human. Um, and so, yeah, so over time you develop it. It's a skill set. It's just like riding a bike. Um, and I tell people you need a lot of freedom to mess this up and be messy. Uh, that's where the testing comes in. So you know, you might have had some bad ramen noodles or Fruit Loops last night and your brain misfires and you see a word in your consciousness. And, you know, I tell people when you're going to do listening prayer, ask God open-ended questions <laughs> because yeah. we typically, who do you want me to marry? Is it Barbara or Lisa? If it's Lisa, <laughs> say yes. And it's like, 
I think I was like, what are you doing to me? Uh, blink once for yes, twice for no. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Well, that's a great resource. And I appreciate you just kind of briefly going over that. Cause I, I think, I, I hope that that's helpful to some people who hear this and, sure. and uh, want to do that guys, you can get, uh, I've got that acronym there in the show notes, as well as that book. Uh, by Mark Verkler that Tim mentioned uh, halfway there podcast.com. You can go there and find that uh, Tim. All right. So I'm sure there's a lot more to your story that we could go into, there's but I, I know, <laughs> but I want to go into design discovery and I want to talk to you about the heart because yeah. that is, I, I think it's the one thing um, that you, that we talk about um, that is just so misunderstood by by Christians. So how did you come to an understanding of the heart and then tell us about the way that you see the heart today? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I so I developed this process design discovery. I had a, the guy that mentored me, John White, he he took me through design discovery when I first started at seminary. And it was an older version of it and basically gave me the freedom to use that with my friends. And I, I started overhauling the process over and over and over. And eventually I rebuilt it from the ground up a couple of times. Um, so it became my own. So what I was doing was I'm helping people pay attention to how God designed them. So it's a framework to understand that. Well, as I'm doing this, I'm realizing, you know, I'm helping people find out their purpose on many levels. And it's, it's a, it's a robust uh, framework, but I was noticing some of the people that I was helping them find out who they were, weren't living it out. And I was really struggling with why, uh, because it was like, we nailed who they were, um, together. I worked really hard with them and they would say, this is who I am. But when it came to living it out, they weren't. And I started realizing my theology of why this is important to know your design was incomplete. And I started to realize that when I would encourage people, you know, once they know their design, um, like their gifts is one part of it. I, I call it superpowers. Now that's one section, you know, how do you live that out? Well, people were, I was noticing they were going, well, I can't just do that. Like, yeah, that is who I am, but like, you know, I got to get a job. I got to, like, I was hearing all these arguments that were common. Like, don't just follow you. Don't just do that. Like, you know, you're going to fall, you're going to get into trouble if you just follow yeah. your desires. Right. And that's, so it was almost like, yeah. Well, that's really how the church even presented a lot of times. You can find all kinds of articles about, Hey, don't trust your heart. Don't trust what you want because that's going to mislead you or lead you astray or lead you to do something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so in my head, I'm going, wait a second, I got to deal with this topic. Like, cause I'm hearing this as a theme, like you said in the church mm-hmm. and one of the most common uh, arguments is the heart is deceitful. Like I, I hear this even now all the time. Um, and the, you don't hear it actually most of the time from non-believers. You hear it from believers. Yeah. Um, so, so over time, so I looked at the scripture, it's Jeremiah 17, nine. And I realized that this verse is being used as the proof text. You know, people are helicoptering in and they're, they're, zooming back out with it and they're using it as this lethal weapon well well as i dug into the scripture and developed my the theology of this i realized this is a this is a real incredible booby trap the enemy has planted 
Like it's brilliant because when you look at the whole trajectory of the book of Jeremiah, like I, so I wrote a blog post on this, by the way, called the gospel of the new heart on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, so I unpack it there if, if people want to re- see the scriptures, but what what happens is actually, if you follow the book of Jeremiah from the beginning, Jeremiah from chapter one on is trying to actually make a case for the nasty heart <laughs> that the heart became really flawed. Yeah. And so when you get to chapter 17 and we see that, that scripture, the heart is deceitful, which that's just the first part of the verse. Um, who can trust it? You know, th- he's just making a statement that is indicative of what he's been saying the whole, the whole, you know, trajectory of Jeremiah. So you keep going in Jeremiah, and if you're reading Jeremiah from chapter one, which most people don't, or they don't know what's going on, <laughs> right? You keep reading it, and you just have this vomit feeling, like I this heart thing is gross. Like it needs fixed, it needs redeemed. So you you get into the chapter thirties, and you start getting you get into chapter thirty one, and then into the section where there's the new covenant, and all of a sudden there's this there's this thing of the new covenant which says that there is a, the heart. The, the, the God's laws are written on the heart. And there's all this language about it leading up to that that is indicating there is, this is thing is being rewritten. And I know someone that speaks uh, Hebrew much better than me. And she <laughs> said the Hebrew, the way it's actually worded and structured is basically the heart is actually ex- exchanged. Oh, interesting. And Ezekiel tells us from another angle as well, but it also says there's a new heart in Ezekiel. So basically the new covenant which is fulfilled in Jesus in the gospel. Uh, nobody's going to argue it's not. It's in Hebrew, straight quotes the New Covenant. The the perk or the benefit of the gospel is the new heart. And so I'm going, wait, it's, hold the phone here, folks. Like, <laughs> th- this heart piece, this whole, is really critical. So if we're using Jeremiah 17 as the proof text to say you shouldn't listen to your heart's desires, we've completely missed part of the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Which is so scary, right? Like I don't want to miss part of the gospel. I, I, want, <laughs> I want the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh Lord. So, um, so, but even the question is what is the heart? So we, when we think of things, we often think in the new Testament, we think in a Greco Roman perspective, mm-hmm. but the, the Jewish worldview on the heart was really robust and really holistic. So the heart from a Jewish angle, like when you look up the word lave in Hebrew, which is what the Hebrew word is, if you, I looked it up in real nerdy Hebrew dictionary, um, <laughs> and it says the heart is basically, to translate it out, the heart is the place of emotion, desire, uh, choice, and the mind. And I was like, the mind is in the heart? That was the Jewish worldview. Yeah, which is not our worldview at all. No. We separate them completely. So I've seen this, actually, when I teach this topic, I've seen people who sit there in, in the audience and they just start crying when I share this this perspective on the heart, which basically Jesus' worldview was that. Um, and there, and I will be like, "What's going on?" And, and, and this woman's like, "I've been told my whole life I'm too logical." And you're telling me because this person is was a scholar, and she said, "You're telling me my mind is part of my heart." Everybody tells me you're not in your heart. You're 18 inches from your heart. Right. And she's like, "You're telling me," and I'm like, "Absolutely." And she's like, "Oh." And then the other person sitting next to her is crying, and I'm like, what's, what's going on with you? And she's like, well, 
you're telling me my emotions are part of my heart. It's not just psychobabble. Like, and this person's designed to be a counselor. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I'm like, yes. So there's this integration and healing when we actually have that holistic view of the heart. So, but the way I've, over time, I've developed this even more. And I, I basically have understood it as, from what I can see now, is I believe desire is actually the leading part of the heart. And emotions, mind, and the will, or choice, actually are servants that follow behind desire as the leader. So often when I'm coaching people now, sometimes when I'll ask them, like, you know, we'll process the situation in life. Often they'll throw a, a logical move on me. Like, well, I think logically it would make sense to do this in my life. Um, and I might ask them. So I heard your process of the way you said that was it it made sense logically. What is your heart? What are your desires telling you you should do? And almost always their desires tell them something different. And so I've noticed when people lean into their desire first, it's a different game than, than when they stick with their logic or mind first. So when I'm coaching people, I'm asking them to stick with desire first. Um, the mind it falls under it. It supports desire. Um I could go into that and that's probably beyond the scope of this podcast. Um, <laughs> but basically it's bringing people back to uh, befriending their heart's desires again. And that if we have this new thing called a heart that Jesus gave us, that's like part of the gospel, like, wow, we're missing it. If, if he's actually trying to move through that, if, the, if really that's another, so I believe he speaks, like I said earlier, and I th I believe he speaks through the Bible, obviously, but one of the other legit sources, I think, of God's communication is via our heart's desires. So there are three, and there's community, there's circumstances, you know, those are the classics. But I believe the enemy is after the heart because your heart leads you into your purpose. So when I'm coaching people, like design discovery is basically a framework of the heart's desires. So it's, yeah. it's broken down into sections. Right. And again, design discovery is your coaching program that you take people through yeah to kind of yeah know. and it took place over time over like watching understanding this concept and understanding a lot of people need sort of some guidance on how to um, name their desires um so that that helped me i mean and so even now i'm still really learning a lot about how to listen to my heart's desires even on a daily basis um and it's wild what happens <laughs> Like even now when I will stop in the morning and I love coffee shops. So in my, in the design framework, there's a section called the environment you're designed for. Well, one of mine is, I named is coffee shops. Um, I, there's a bajillion coffee shops in Cleveland and I, every morning I'll pause and ask like, basically what is my heart? Like, where do I really want to go today? Just what, what's my heart telling me to do? And every single time I do that, probably 9.9% .9 or 9.9 .9 out of 10 times, when I go to the coffee shop my heart was telling me to go to, I have a significant conversation with someone that it was almost like it was meant to happen. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, God was like, I'm trying to talk to your heart's desires here because I gave you your new heart. So it's blowing my brain. I'm, I'm still marveling at it, at the old heart. Yeah. I love that. You've addressed the, the challenges that people are going to have with the heart, with trying to understand and, and accept their heart. What, um, like, what does it mean for people to actually overcome that? 
for one, I believe a lot of the church is sort of in a zombie state, if you will, uh, because they have shut their desires down. And what happens what I wa- when I watch people, first of all, hear this theology and they're like, what? <laughs> like, it's not just a don't listen to your heart. It's you need to, to live out the gospel. <laughs> right. That message. I watch people like you see the weight lift off their shoulders and they, and what happens is people go, the, the weird things I want to do with my life. Like, like I have met a guy who wants to be a garbage man. Like <laughs> really we have, a, we, yeah, it's, you know, and I was like, I've been, I was like, I've been waiting to meet one of you. Um, <laughs> and basically, we all have these desires to do things that are so they're idiosyncratic. They're different from everyone else, and we hide them. We're a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. Well, when we embrace our heart, we realize actually that's part of our calling. And so you see people embracing those things that they've been rejecting. And when they do that, you see joy. You see freedom. You know, I, I define joy as the experience of being fully alive. Mm-hmm. you see people fully alive. You see them waking up. You see the depression going away. You see families uh, reconciling. You see joy and that you see kids happy to be around parents again um, because dad's not a curmudgeon anymore. He's actually fun to be around because he actually enjoys his own life. And then the other thing that is the huge piece that I see probably bigger than anything is people realize God is not out to get them. <laughs> right. But, God actually made them to enjoy life. Like there's this, there's this men, this belief that if I follow God's will, it's going to just suck. Right. <laughs> and like, that makes God this Scrooge figure. That's just totally not the father in the Bible. I mean, um, yes, he tells us the truth. Yes. He's just, but he's a God of desire. And so we become uh, what I watch people is they become less of robots in their faith and they become more of responsible adults. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What I hear you saying, Tim, is that there's a lot of that, that you're helping people integrate and take their whole person seriously. And that, yeah, that is so important to me. I just, I, I am, I am so disturbed by the way that the church refuses to take the human person seriously as a whole. And so yeah. to to take something like desire, you know, we we tend to to look at that and and say, "Oh, well, that's just going to, you know, lead you in a direction you shouldn't go or you know, like I said earlier, make you make dumb decisions or something." Um but then what do you do with it? You know, if it's just bad, what do you what do you do with it? And I think yeah. that the human person is actually, especially since we're made in the image of God, and which nobody will argue yes. with, that we we have to go. Oh, there's there's all these parts of us, and they must be there for some good, because God, yeah. God gave them to us. And so, if they are, then let's figure out how that works. And so, what I love about working with you and 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 what you're talking about here is you help me integrate myself and how I think about myself. And I think, um, you know, anybody who either does that or reads, reads your blog will, will find that same kind of, same kind of stuff. This bleeds into the topic on discerning God's will. Mm -hmm. So 
that topic to me is maddening if you don't embrace your heart's desires because we're constantly in this swing and cycle of am I doing what God wants? Am I not doing what God wants? Oh my gosh, he's upset at me. Um, I don't know. It's just this constant thing. And based on what I can see with this development of the heart through the trajectory of the Bible is that I think the default way we're supposed to approach the will of God is to ask, what do you want to do? Hmm. Like when you're faced with two jobs, what do you want to do? And that's crazy making in the church to actually just say that. Right. (laughs) Now, here's the piece. I know what everyone is thinking that wrestles with this topic. They're right now thinking, yes, but my flesh has real problems with knowing the right thing to do. And you know what? I'm going to say, yeah, I, I will say the flesh does exist. The sinful nature does exist and God's redeeming it. But that's not the same thing as the new heart. So there's going to be a new heart in you if you're a follower of Jesus that's going to be pointing you to a desire that's the deeper thing that usually actually calls you into courage. So a lot of people go, oh, so you're saying if I follow my heart, then it's going to be this this, uh, fluffity, puffity, easy life. Actually not. It's it's going to call you out to be the you that you've known deep down since you were a child that that calls out the adventure in you. And it's going to create, it's going to call out the courage in you to do it, which means you are going to have to be dependent on Jesus like you have never been before. If you're going to be the you that you were meant to be, you're going to have to lean on him. And so living out your design isn't about just making money. People will make money, but that's not the point. The point is like, I'm coaching a person right now that lives in Uganda and they're doing work with graphic design natively and they're they're going to be building a safe house this guy's alive more than any time of his life and he also is facing situations that are literally could cause suffering yeah so i'm going jesus but we we go back to this point of what kind of a god would it be or would he be if he just thought we just need to you know wake up in the morning and go through a rhythm where we are not alive like who is that God? It's it, that's a that's not the Father I love, and or the one I want to know. And I don't think it's really the one anyone wants to know at the end of the day. Right. Um, well, I think what that reveals about us is that we don't necessarily think God has created us for anything good. Yeah. You know, and again, that's that kind of how do we view the whole human person? Um, yeah. You know. Anyway. Yeah, and that's gospel. I mean, if we could share yeah. this with our culture around us, that. Actually, I think Christians should be the most desirous creatures on earth. <laughs> like, wow. we should be the most passionate, crazy, fun. I mean, yeah, the extroverts are going to be probably more, um, or the Fs and the Myers Briggs. But like, we should be the people that people see us and they go, "They are the most alive people I've ever met," because right. we know the one that gives life. And so, I, my heart goes out to those that struggle with this because we've been given a theology. And it's not in any one person. Um, it's a systemic thing that's come down through the ages. And quite honestly, I think it's a demonic scheme that mm-hmm. has been, because if you tap into your heart, you tap into your design. And if you tap into your design, you tap into the body of Christ. Um, you tap into God at work in us through our hearts. Oh, I love this topic. Dude, yes, I know you do. Uh, all right. <laughs> Uh, there's so much that I want to that I, we could talk about. I do want to just one more question, and then and then we'll get yes. going. Because one thing you do that 
I don't know that many people do is you speak very candidly about, you've said several times the enemy or the demonic or the, you know, these kinds of things. And I mean, we obviously all believe in those things, but nobody talks about it. Like what, how do you understand those things? Mm. That's a different part of the conversation, but it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting yeah. one, I think. Well, I'm probably a little weird on this one, uh, partly <laughs> because when, when I spoke of the season of darkness and depression, um, that awakened me to the spiritual warfare realm. Um, mm-hmm. So I started reading literature on that, and I found there was some good stuff, there was some weird stuff, there was some bad stuff. But one of the themes I started seeing in a lot of the healthy theology was that the enemy attacks us in our mind, uh, which is interesting because my theology develops later to understand the heart. The mind is in the heart, which basically your inner person is your heart. And I realized, yeah, so, you know, the enemy's trying to convince me on a, I think, I think demo, demonic attack, intrusive attack happens on a mental level. Um, and I'm not saying there's a demon behind every door in that, but I'm just saying, because that was a question for me at that season in my life when I was in college, I would ask people, so do you believe in spiritual warfare? Cause I was really trying to find out and they'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, what does it look like? And they're all like, <laughs> uh. and I'm like, are demons out having tea parties or like, what does this mean? And the only thing that made sense to me in the end was intrusive mental attack. Like, Thoughts that are presented like my own that look and smell real good, mm-hmm. but they distract me. Or and really, what the enemy's goal is, and you know, see this in the scriptures, is he wants to create an autopilot effect where we start believing lies about ourselves, and we are our own problem. Yeah. We are our own enemy, and then he moves on. Enough of that guy. I got him. He's on autopilot. He'll go crashing down. Um, oh man! So basically, it's just it's a truth game um, that he's after. Truth and love, um, which is what Jesus is about. So when I speak of the enemy, I, I would say, yeah, he attacks and demons are real. I believe that. Uh, I've seen stuff. Um, but I think it's an internal game to keep us away from our heart, keep us away from the truth of who God is, um, and keep us away from the, the, the idea that Jesus is out for an intimate relationship, a loving relationship with him. Like, he wants us to know he loves, experience that he loves us and hear his voice. Like, there is nothing like chatting with him and just knowing I just talked with the creator of the universe and he loves me. And that's that's who I am. I'm the beloved. That's the end game. Wow. I love it. Uh, okay. Something you said jogged in me the memory of a book called Outwitting the Devil The Secret to Freedom and Success by Napoleon Hill. Now that is uh-huh. definitely not a, uh, you know, it's not a spiritual warfare handbook or anything, but he talks about how the mm. devil will lull you into a stupor and he calls them hypnotic rhythms, right? Where, where you just, the trajectory of your, uh, you know, everyday rhythms lead you into this kind of, you know, unthinking kind of just going about your life kind of thing that really prohibits both productivity and living from your heart and doing the things that you you were made to do. But anyway, you guys might check that out. Um, But all right. Thank you for all that, Tim. I appreciate you kind of going over that because I just noticed, man, that you, 
you talk about spiritual warfare in a way that I've, I've not heard a lot mm. before, but yeah, I love that. So where can people find you? And uh, actually I know where they can find you. They can find you at designdiscovery.com. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm blogging on there about every week or two. I'm writing a blog post. Um, I'm on Facebook. There's a million Tim Morris's. So you probably need to connect with Eric first to find me. <laughs> sure. I'll have a link to that or, uh, you just go to the, the uh, show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. You'll see Tim's page. And That's easier. Yeah, yeah. Have, I'll have all of that linked up. So, Yeah, and I have a couple projects in the works right now. So I'm writing two books. I'm writing a fantasy fiction book, which actually walks out the fivefold in fiction form. And it also walks out listening prayer. It walks out uh, the heart. So in that book, the heart is called The Gem. And so I'm just trying to take a creative angle on all these things I just shared basically today. I'm writing a nonfiction book. I'm sort of in the editing stages of both of them. I'm just taking a little bit of time where I'm unpacking this theology I talked with you today about. Awesome. Um, and then the last piece is I am releasing a free five-fold assessment on the Design Discovery website. Uh, that should be coming out this week. Um, so you can go on there and find out which of the five gifts you resonate more with. It's a questionnaire, uh, 50 questions. So I'd love for you to take that. Awesome. So people can find that at designdiscovery.com. It'll be easy to find right there. Yeah, it should be available. Actually, yeah, when this is ready to go. Excellent. And uh, like I said, I'll have designdiscovery.com linked up in the show notes so that you guys can find that. Or you can just go there and connect with Tim. Tim, it has been really fun to be the one asking you questions for a change. <laughs> and I love your story. I love what God's doing in your life. I love your passion, man. That is just so Thank great. You, I think all of us want more of that. So thanks a lot, brother. Yeah. Thank you, brother. It's an honor. 